Welcome to Books with Bitches. I'm Maria. And I'm Madison. Welcome. And today we are going over our last section of The Glass Castle by Jeanette Wells. This was a book. (laughs) I think I was kind of rushed at the end, but it still didn't change my mind on how I felt about the whole book. Yeah, it was interesting. I felt like it was kind of like when we read The Red Tent, you're like, oh, it felt kind of rushed towards the end. But it's maybe just kind of like the fact less traumatic things happen when you're in charge of your life versus when you're a child and you get yanked around everywhere. Mm hmm. Again, it's the same thing, too. Like, every time I kept reading, I was just like, I can't keep fucking reading this book. My eyeballs were rolling. I could have rolled them down a bowling alley. Like, the mom pisses me off. The dad clearly has, like, some trauma issues and childhood abuse issues that went untreated, which is normal for that time, which sucks. But it's also like, I don't know. I don't know. Once we dive into it, I'll definitely express my opinions. And express them you shall. So how would you rate this section? A three. A three little Hobart streets out of five. Okay, so the first section, I think we did page 193 to the end. Mm -hmm. So to recap, Jeanette just went to the pool with Dinesha, and that was the cleanest she had ever felt. And then after she's like, oh, that's the cleanest I've ever felt. That afternoon, I was alone in the house, still enjoying the itchy, dry feeling of the chlorine scoured skin and the wobbly bowl feeling that you get from a lot of exercise when I heard a knock on the door. I opened the door a few inches and peered out. A balding man carrying a file folder under his arm stood on the porch. Something about him said government, a species dad had trained us to avoid. So in short, CPS is knocking at their door. Which maybe is a good thing until we find out it really didn't do anything. See, I wonder if the person who reported them was one of the kids. And then they saw that the mom was getting a job and they're like, oh, well, now CPS isn't going to do anything. I don't think the kids, because I feel like Jeanette would have said something. I mean, it probably was like someone from school, like a a teacher. That really annoys me when people are like, oh, I reported it and it didn't go anywhere. So they just, it never gets followed up on. Yeah. But then we also get to see here, I don't know if it's Jeanette being protective of her family or if she is in straight up denial about it. Probably both. Probably like, oh, because she's been what ingrained that don't trust these people. But it's also like now that she's older and she's saying like, no, we are living in squalor. Like something needs to be done. So she's probably like mixed opinions of how she feels about this. But she just straight up says no one's neglecting us. And then they're like, does your dad work? And it's he does odd jobs. He's an entrepreneur. And your mother, she's an artist and a writer and a teacher. Really? Where? And then Jeanette says, I don't think my parents want me to be talking to you. And then he never comes back. Or like, she's like, be careful on the steps. Because they're rotting away. And it says, we're in the process of building a new set. Which She's is like, a very smart kid. Definitely very smart. But it's also like kind of annoying to me. It's like, please help yourself. Please advocate for yourself. Yeah. Well, we see time and time again, she always defends her family. Does she defend her family or does she defend her dad? Mm, more so her dad. You can tell that she just kind of tells her mom how it is. But she refuses to tell her dad the truth. Yeah, like she's a daddy's girl, which I understand. So here on page 194, Jeanette is talking about how they wish they could do the skedaddle. For a long time, Brian, Laurie, and I assumed he would leave the world sooner or later. Every couple of months, we'd ask dad when we were going to move on. He'd always talk about Australia or Alaska, but he never took any action. When we asked mom, she starts singing a song about how her get up and go had gone up and got up and went 
Maybe coming back to Welch had killed the idea dad used to have for himself as a man going places. The truth was we were stuck. So I just feel bad for the kids who are like, oh, we finally have a place for us to call home. We'll put quotes around that because it doesn't feel very home to me. But they're finally in like a stable spot, but it's one of the worst places they've ever been. Mm-hmm. And then her parents come but- home and she gives them the card. Yeah. And then finally the mom goes, I'll get a job, Jeanette. She snaps. She threw a paintbrush into the jar. That held her turpentine and sat there looking at the drowning woman. I was like, don't be dramatic. Like, you are able-bodied. You could have been doing this a long time ago to help your family. You're just lazy. See, I don't know if it's just lazy. And we can talk about that later as we see what the some of the mom's mental health devolves. So I have on page 176, it's like, mom finally gets a job and CPS never comes back. On 176? Mm-hmm. Sorry, 196. Um, I was like, wait, did we jump back? Okay, yeah. We went back in time. But then we see that she has the same problems as before, where the mom doesn't want to go to work, and she goes through a depressive phase, and, like, she's being picked up by this lady who's a kind of a bitch. And, you know, she's making money, right? And there's no food, though. And they're asking her, like, where is the money? And she goes, I've got a house full of kids and a husband who soaks up booze like a sponge. Making ends meet is harder than you think. So then they're like, okay, the kids. The kids are saying, we'll take the money and we'll budget it for you. Why are they? It's not the kids' responsibility to take care of your finances. We can talk about that later when we find out where's the money going. Because we we do find out. But I would like to slightly defend Lucy Jo. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I would feel if my boss told me I have to drive to the bad part of town in my nice car and pick up this... It's going to sound so mean. Smelly homeless woman who I know it's not like a thing because it is someone's last name, but she takes offense to it. She's like, hey, please don't call me the derogatory. Please don't talk about derogatory terms towards Polish people. Yeah. In her defense, like I would not be the happiest about that. And then she never wants to come to work. So she's also making me late. I just think her mom is just, Jeanette's mom is horrible. I'm sorry. She's, she's a very horrible person with underlying mental health issues. I don't know if she's like a horrible person. I would just say she's a very selfish person. Narcissism. I do not armchair diagnose here. Or I don't. (laughs) But like you were saying, the kids are like, fine, we'll budget for you. And mom says, easy for you to say, which is foreshadowing for later. So and they're like, even though mom had a steady job, we are pretty much living like we had before. But it's interesting that she says this, but she doesn't say anything about the dad at this point. So is the dad not even coming home? Right. And if he's not, where is he? Exactly. Exactly. So and now she's started the seventh grade, which is so interesting for me for like regionally how different states divvy up elementary school slash grammar school, middle school and high school. Because she's like seventh grade. I get to go to high school. I'm like, what? Yeah, that's a lot of the schools down here, too. Uh, But we find out that Denisha is pregnant and then (laughs) find out later that she was arrested for stabbing her mother's boyfriend to death. And it's like. Wow. That just kind of shows you, though, the uh, place that they were living in and the things that people had to go for either one defending themselves or just the life that they lived. It was terrible when I read that because I think I marked it on page 199. I swear to God, if another kid in this book is getting abused, I'm going to scream. And then Denisha's like, oh, I don't like my mom's boyfriend. And I was reading it next to my husband. And I said, I guarantee you the mom's boyfriend is raping her and he's like you're he's like why do you always say like the most terrible stuff and i was like because i read what is it um i know why the caged bird sings Mm -hmm. 
usually if the kids viscerally hate the boyfriend, there's a reason. Right. And if it's not like, oh, you're replacing my dad, it's usually a pretty good reason, which involves abuse. Mm -hmm. So I, good job, Denisha. You stab that asshole. We don't tolerate pedophiles here. No. But then we learn more about the girls that Jeanette went to school with and that Ernie Goad called her pork chop ugly and that, you know, even her mom would constantly say, like, you have distinctive looks, you know? And so, of course, she starts looking at herself like, well, I'm I'm not pretty. And then she was self-conscious about her teeth, in which her mom just says, not her mom, Lori says, they're just a little bucked. They have a certain pippy long stockingish charm. Um, and then her mom told her that her overbite gave her character. And Brian said they'd come in handy if I ever needed to eat an apple through a knot hole in a fence. So I, I started laughing at that because I was like, I love Brian. Like, he's so sweet. Um, so out of her own invention, she made braces to which her dad then compliments her and is like, wow, that that is so smart. And I think they're really working. First, can we talk about Jeanette's like values here? So this is going to sound weird, but if Jeanette actually looks as she describes, like very tall, almost six foot, pale, skinny, gorgeous red hair and distinctive teeth. I feel like if she went to New York, she could be a model. Mm -hmm. And also we can talk about it later when the mom makes some very rude remarks, but Jeanette is so fucking smart. Yes. Even from a very young age. Please acknowledge her like her father does. Lori didn't make herself braces. Lori didn't know she couldn't fucking see for the longest time, which is not her fault because she had no idea. But why does Jeanette never get any credit? Except from her drunk dad. Why does the mom not acknowledge Jeanette? Hence why I don't really like part of the reason why I don't like her mom. I did think it was funny when the dad caught her wearing the braces and he's like, what the fuck is on your head? Yeah. But then he compliments her and those braces are a gosh damn feat of engineering genius you take after your old man. It's like he, he compliments her like he knows that she's going to succeed in life. Whereas the mom's just like, well, it seems like the dad and everybody else knows Jeanette is going to succeed in life except for the mom. I feel like the mom doesn't want her to succeed because she didn't succeed in life. I just feel like the mom sees Jeanette as very like antagonistic towards her because Jeanette's like, really mom? Really, we're going to do this? And Jeanette's the one who's saying, hey mom, I think you need to get a job. It's not Lori telling her that. It's not Brian Mm -hmm. telling her that. It's definitely not Maureen telling her that because Maureen is nowhere to be found. But it's Jeanette who's... Who's always saying something very confrontational towards her mother so i wonder if that has something to do with it probably for sure all right and then going into the next chapter we see that she starts writing for the maroon wave and we learn that miss bivens was the one who convinced her dad so miss bivens is the teacher for the journalist for journalism or she's an english teacher and the waves faculty advisor so she's the one who convinced her dad to return and earn his diploma telling him he had what it took to be somebody. Dad had named her after me, or named me after her, and mom suggested I add the second N to make it more elegant and French, so. So maybe you were pronouncing it correctly when you were like, how were you saying it? Jeanette. Yeah, so maybe that is how she says her name. And I'm just American trash and go Jeanette. Or Jeanette. I don't know, it could be said either way, depending on how you're feeling We probably should have looked up a video of her saying her name. I think she'll forgive us. So I have something on page 205. And I just was saying how Jeanette is finally like 
she's reading other newspapers while doing research for her, the Waves new paper. And she's like, when my work was done, I read the stories on the wire services because we never subscribed to newspapers or magazines. I'd never known what was going on in the world, except for the skewed version of events we got from mom and dad. One in which every politician was a crook, every cop was a thug, and every criminal had been framed. I began to feel like I was getting a whole new story for the first time, and I was being handed the missing pieces to a puzzle, and the world was making a little more sense. So it's like here you get to see Jeanette's world kind of open up to her because she realizes how skewed her worldview is from her yeah. parents. Because it's true, she hadn't really heard anything except from her parents. And who's to say that they didn't, you know, tell it that's going to either portray whatever it is in a bad light or it's gonna show off their beliefs you know can we put a pin in that and kind of remember for what's something that happens later in new york so when when she's listening to the radio in new york let's just remember parents worldview. okay all right next chapter where jeanette says i feel like i've been failing maureen which we see again later down the Dude, road i don't think it's their fault <laughs> it's not it's just, and it, that's such a tragic thing and it's it's crazy to me what we learn about later. Maureen would always ask about California, which again is foreshadow. It says, although she belonged, or although she longed for California, the magical place of light and warmth, she seemed happier than the rest of us kids in Welsh. She was a storybook, beautiful girl with long blonde hair and startling blue eyes. She spent so much time with the families of her friends that she often didn't seem like a member of our family. Then we find out she's been hanging out with a lot of Pentecostals. And a lot of her friends are Pentecostals whose parents held that mom and dad were disgracefully irresponsible and took it upon themselves to save Maureen's soul. She took up, they took her up like a surrogate daughter and brought her with them to revival meetings and to snake handling services in Jolo. So the Maureen got very uh, religious at times which is understandable that's what she was she was searching for something and she was she was searching for people to take care of her and she found it which is maybe it, it's good for her because she's being taken care of but then we see later on down the line that it did affect her tremendously especially with maureen's actions later down the line where they're like what is maureen looking for and then you find out it kind of comes back to her childhood mm -hmm. what does brian say that he's being savage Oh, so one morning towards the end of the school year, mom had a complete meltdown. She was supposed to write up evaluations of her students' progress, but she'd spent every free minute painting, and now the deadline was on her and the evaluations were unwritten. The remedial, re the remedial reading program was going to lose its funding and the principal would either be furious or just plain disgusted. Mom couldn't bear to face the woman. Lucy Joe, who had been waiting for mom in the dark, drove off without her and mom lay wrapped up in blankets on the sofa bed sobbing about how much she hated her life. Dad wasn't there, and neither was Maureen. Brian typically started doing an impression of mom, carrying on and sobbing, but no one was laughing, so he picked up his books and walked out of the house. And it's like, Brian is so done with both of his parents' shit, he's making mm -hmm. fun of his mother who is sobbing on the couch. Because Brian at this point is just like, oh, the your consequences are coming to bite you in the ass? Let me rub it in a little more. It weren't the consequences of my own actions. It's just like, that's such a cruel thing to do. But from Brian's point of view, I understand. But then we see that Lori is like, oh, you know, 
Dad just needs a strong woman because here we, on 208, Lori caught up with me and we walked for a while in silence. Poor mom. She's got it tough. No tougher than the rest of us. Yes, she does. She's the one who's married to dad. That was her choice. She needs to be firmer, lay down the law for dad instead of getting hysterical all the time. What dad needs is a strong woman. And then Jeanette thinks, I thought a strong woman would be able to manage dad. What he needed was someone who was focused and determined, someone who would set ultimatums and stick to them. I figured I was strong enough to keep dad in line. When mom told me I was so, I was so focused, it was scary. I know she didn't mean it as a compliment, but I took it that way. And then we see that her mom was kind of right because then dad's like, I need money. And then he manipulates her and gaslights her. And then he gets the money out of her. And then he keeps asking for more money. And then, uh, is it this part? Yeah. In order to pay Jeanette back, he decides to take her to a bar. Crash. I was, I think after the end of this chapter, I literally sat there. I didn't read. I just sat there. I was like, I cannot believe your own father let that happen to you. It's like, yeah, let's pimp out my fucking kid. So for our listeners, let's just talk about what happens since we're being so, you know vague about the incident but as mentioned dad takes Jeanette to a bar and they go to a place that was dark and as hazy as a battlefield from the cigarette smoke neon signs for paps blue ribbon and old milwaukee glowed on the walls gaunt men with creased cheeks and women with dark red lipstick sat along the bar a couple of guys wearing steel-toed boots played pool after a while he got up to play a pool and no sooner had he left than a man came over and sat on it he had a black mustache that curved around the sides of his mouth and coal grime under his fingernails he poured salt in his beer which dad said some guys did because they like to make extra foam name's robbie that man there i'm his daughter i said he took a lick of film and started asking me about myself leaning in close as he talked how old are you girl how do you think about 17 i smiled putting my hand over my teeth know how to dance i shook my head sure you do i looked over at dad who grinned and waved robbie held me close with his hands on the small of my back we danced to a second song and when we sat down again on the stools facing the pool table our backs against the bar he slid his arm behind me that arm made me tense, but not entirely unhappy. No one had flirted with me since Billy Deal, unless you counted Kenny Hall. I caught Dad's eye. I expected him to come barreling across the room and walk Robbie with a pull cue for getting fresh with his daughter. Instead, he hollered to Robbie, do something worthwhile with those damned hands of yours. Get over here and play a game of pool. I ordered whiskey and chocolate and cues, and all Dad said to me was, keep your legs crossed, honey, and keep them crossed tight. Her dad's argument is... Well, if you needed anything, I was downstairs, but I knew nothing would happen. What if something did? Right, exactly. They even say, Oh, come on, he said and shouted to Dad. I'm going to take your girl upstairs. Sure, just don't do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> Holler if you need me. So with Dad's blessing, I went upstairs. And she even says, I'm not that kind of girl, but he ignored me. When I tried rolling away, he pinned back my arms. Dad had said to Holler if I needed him, but I didn't want to scream. I was so angry at Dad that I couldn't bear the idea of him rescuing me. Robbie, meanwhile, was saying something about me being too bony to screw. Yeah, my most guys don't like me. Besides being skinny, I got these scars. Oh, sure. I rolled off the bed, quickly unbuttoned my dress from the waist, and pulled it down pulled it open to show him the scar on my right side. For all he knew, my entire torso was one giant mass of scar tissue. Robbie looked uncertainly or at his friends. It was like seeing a gap in a fence. I think I hear dad calling, I said, then made for the door. So she gets in the car with her dad and he says, I think we make a good team. And he says, you upset about something, Mountain Goat? And for a moment, I considered not telling dad. I was afraid there'd be bloodshed since he was always going on about how he'd kill anyone who laid a finger on me. Then it decided I wanted to see the guy pummeled. Dad, that creep attacked me when we were upstairs. I'm sure he just pawed you some. I knew you could handle yourself. And he said, just like that time I threw you into the sulfur spring to teach you to swim, you might have been convinced you were going to drown, 
but I knew you'd do just fine. Like, that's awful. Oh, it's terrible. But do we remember when Jeanette and the kids were younger and they were living out in the desert and the mom and the dad used to go inside and the mom would put red lipstick on? Mm-hmm. Do you think he was doing the same thing with his wife as he did with Jeanette? Probably. Because then they'd come back out with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So but also, I wouldn't say. We know the dad, one, has not is not faithful to the wife because Brian mm-hmm. got mad about the prostitutes. And then I don't know, the morals are all screwed up because it's like, would the mom do that being as like Christian as she is? Right. But then she even finds an excuse or a loophole to like exactly. validate why she does what she does. Yeah. What is it like? Um, blessed pilfering or whatever. Just an awful situation for Jeanette to even have to have had have to deal with like that never should have happened and then the dad disappears naturally and then he comes back from money and Jeanette's like I'm not giving it to you and then they're like oh let's hide it together and then when she's like I went back to go rehide it so he wouldn't get it and he had already taken it so and then he's like I don't know who took it who could have taken it do you that you you say that your daughter's a genius so why are you going to disrespect her by saying who could have taken it when she knows exactly who fucking took it well it's also like the dad always saying have i ever let you down right and everyone wants to say yeah but then they're like nah what's the point he already knows but now we get to see why when mom got a job there was still never any money because the dad has a gambling problem and a drinking problem Jeanette can't say no. How do you expect the mom to say no? Right. And then Jeanette gets a job at Becker's Jewel Box. Because, oh, hold on, okay, because on page 218, first, Lori had gone to a summer camp and she was like, oh my gosh, I was so much fun because she actually got to live a normal life. And then mom went to go work on getting, uh, renewing her certificate for teaching and Her mom comes back saying, it's time I did something for myself. It's time I started living my life for me. Mom, you spent the whole summer renewing your certificate. If I hadn't done that, I would have had this breakthrough. You can't quit your job. We need the money. Why do I always have to be the one who earns money? Mom asked, you have a job. You can earn money. Lori can earn money too. I've got more important things to do. I think that's after she gets the the job. It is. And I I got so excited. But that explains why she partially got the job. Well, she got the job because her dad kept taking money and wasn't paying her back. And she's like, I can't let Brian starve. Honest, I think if any of the kids would have said no to dad, it would have been Brian. Mm -hmm. So it's like, let Jeanette make the budget and then give Brian the money. But then we also find out, okay, so going back to Jeanette's job, we find out that she's being stiffed on commissions. Yeah. So she would be making more money, but um, he says that they're for salespeople and she was just an assistant. So she took a watch, but then she felt bad that she took the watch and ended up putting it back. And she was more scared of putting it back than being caught taking it out. Yeah. But at that point, can't you just say, oh, I was cleaning it? She could have said that. I don't know. I would have been like, I'm sorry, I took it. You can fire me now. See, this is how you know I'm a terrible person. (laughs) I legitimately am so bad at it. But so the mom quits or so the mom doesn't quit, but she's just like, I thought mom was having another tantrum. I assumed come opening day, she'd be off in Lucy Joe's dart to Davy Elementary, even if we had to cajole her. But on the first day, mom refused to get out of bed. Lori, Brian and I pulled back the covers to try to drag her out, but she wouldn't budge. So she's like, I'm sick. And she's like, my mucus is yellow. And then Jeanette's like, everyone's mucus is yellow. And then her mom is like, you can't talk to me like that. I'm your mother. And Jeanette says, if you want to be treated like a mother, you should act like one. She's like, how 
dare you? And then she tells her dad what she said. And then Jeanette gets fucking beat by her dad because respect is so important, apparently. More important than feeding your fucking children. Mm -hmm. But this is so disgusting. When After Jeanette gets beat, she says, I walked out of the kitchen without looking at dad. Mom was outside the door. She'd been standing there listening to everything. I didn't look at her, but I could tell from the corner of my eye her triumphant expression. That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. First of all, so you then should she, never want to beat your kids. And then you should never be happy about them getting hurt. But then Jeanette says, the second was that, okay, so the first was that I had my last whipping. No one was ever going to do that to me again. The second was that, like Lori, I was going to get out of Welch. The sooner the better. Before I finished high school, if I could, I had no idea where I would go, but I knew. But I did know I was going. I also knew it would not be easy. I decided the next day I'd go to GC Murphy and buy a pink plastic piggy bank I'd seen there. I put in $75. I had managed to save while working at Becker's Jewel Bob. It was the beginning of my escape fund. Go, Jeanette. Yes. I really have to give her props because not only does she want to get out, she has a plan, which it doesn't seem like the other siblings ever did. But so Jeanette, the ne next chapter or whatever, they met two guys from New York and they both decide, Jeanette and Lori decide, you know what, we're going to go to New York when we leave. And then I think Jeanette tells her about the emergency fund. Yeah, I told Lori about my escape fund, the $75 I'd saved from now on. I said, it would be our joint fund. We take the extra money after school. We take on extra work after school and put everything we earned into the piggy bank. Lori could take it to New York and use it to get established. So by the time I arrived, everything would be set. And I put here, and they named the piggy bank Oz. And I was like, something bad is going to happen to Oz. And then on page 225, her dad gets this super nice gold Cadillac. Or, sorry. Yes. Brian pitches into the escape fund too, because he also wants to leave. Or I think he also wants his sisters to leave. Let's talk about the Cadillac. Named Elvis. But dad loved Elvis too dearly to consider seller selling it. And the truth was, I loved Elvis almost as much. While you have this super nice fucking Cadillac, Jeanette is also coloring on her legs so the holes in her pants don't show through. Yep. The priorities in this family just... Don't make sense. <sighs> they don't. Maslow's hierarchy triangle of need is like inverted. It's just like, do they think that now that they like, I don't, I don't know. Cause I was going to say maybe at a certain age, they think that the kids are, should be able to survive on their own, but the kids have been trying to survive on their own since they were toddlers. Yeah. Hence the fire incident. So as spring approached and the last day of Glory's graduation drew closer, I lay awake at night thinking about her life in New York city. Exactly three months. I told her you'll be living in New York. <sighs> she doesn't want to apply for any scholarships because she's like oh the rejection's too much but then she eventually does by making a bust of shakespeare and her dad fucking ruins it oh that made me so mad i just put the dad's dickish behavior is on full display here and his whole reason is you're in a rate you're in a horse race but you're thinking like a sheep sheep don't win horse races that doesn't matter. She's trying to win a scholarship so she can go to fucking school. And I'm not going to defend the dad at all. And then... No, I'm defend him for. Uh, yeah, no. And then... Oz is gone. One day in May, we'd been saving all our money. Almost nine months. When we had a couple of dollars I'd made from babysitting and went to the bathroom stash to stash them in Oz. And the pig was not in the old sewing machine. I began looking through all the junk in the bedroom and finally found Oz on the floor. 
someone had slashed him apart with a knife and stolen all the money. Oh, I wonder who could have fucking done that. I knew it was dad, but at the same time, I couldn't believe he'd stoop this low. What partially annoyed me is that the kids told their parents their plan, especially if you know that they struggle with money. Like, do you really think that they're not gonna go look for it? And then uh, the dad never comes home. And then when he does, He's like, what the goddamn hell are you talking about? And watch your language. And then he asked Jeanette what happened to the to Oz. And then Jeanette has a shiny new spine and says, you took our money. And that's what <laughs> So do you think this was the dad trying to sabotage Lori? Where she, he's like, I'm going to make sure you don't get this scholarship. And then I'm going to take all your emergency funds so you can't go. I think that. Or do you think it was just like, oh, you have a gambling and a drinking problem. Of course, you're going to steal money sitting around the house. I think it was probably both, where he just felt, he probably genuinely felt like a failure as a father, but then also was like, well, my alcoholism is more important. Sorry. I may, like, for a brief second, maybe he thought that, but he's like, no, alcohol is more important. So Lori's like, well, ne I'll never get out of here. I'll never get out of here. And Jeanette says, "I, you will. I swear you will. I believed she would because I knew if Lori never got out of Welch, neither would I. But then something good comes up of Miss Sanders asks if Jeanette would be able to watch her kids for the summer and that she'd pay her $200 at the end of the summer and buy me a bus ticket back to Welch. I thought about her offer, take Lori instead of me, and at the end of the summer, buy her a bus ticket to New York City. Which Miss Sanders is like, all right, cool, I can do that. And so on the day that she is leaving, Lori never once looked back. I took that as a good sign. When I climbed the staircase to the house, dad was standing on the porch smoking a cigarette. This family is falling apart, he said. It sure is, I told him. Like, don't be mad that you did this to your own family. You are the part of the reason why your family does not want to be here. It was like, gee, I wonder why the family's falling apart. So now we get to learn that Jeanette is going to be the editor of the Maroon Wave. Mm-hmm. And that she works all the time uh, during lunch and after school. And she found out if she went to the cafeteria after school had ended, she would find the discarded but basically full giant like gallon buckets of food. And she was like, I hardly went hungry ever again. <laughs> so it's still her parents aren't feeding her. Right. And she's still dumpster diving for food. So I'm glad she's eating, but she shouldn't have to do that. But then we learn that Chuck Yeager is visiting uh, Welch High. And apparently he was in the Air Force in World War II, shot down, shot down 11 German planes. And he was a test pilot at Edwards Air Force Base in the Mojave Desert. And he broke the sound barrier. And so she told her dad about this. And he was so excited about it that he wrote up all of these questions for her to ask. And he pretended to be Jake, Chuck, Chuck Yeager. And so we see kind of like a bonding moment with them, which is kind of a nice break from all of the horrible things that we've seen the dad do it's like we get to see like a very nice bonding moment between the two of them mm -hmm. and then we learned that her dad did set her up for success in the interview with chuck yeager and then she writes her article and her dad's like oh this is great honey but let's juice it up a little and we never get a follow-up on that <laughs> i'm like what what did they juice how did how did they juice it anyways next chapter Lori fucking loves New York. I feel like she made a comment. Maybe maybe I'm remembering it from somewhere else. But like employment was very vast up there. 
And I feel like maybe that was taken later in the chapters in the books. So I don't know why I'm thinking about that. But then we see that the guidance counselor is asking Jeanette, like, what are you going to do? She said, Bluefield State was only 36 miles away. And with my grades, I would probably get a full scholarship. And Jeanette's like, well, I want to go to college in New York. And she goes, what for? That's where I want to live. Miss Katona said that in her view, this was a bad idea. It was easier to go to school, to go to college in state where you had to attend high school. You were considered in-state, which meant acceptance was more likely and tuition was cheaper. And so Jeanette was like, maybe I should move to New York City right now and graduate from high school there. Then I'd be considered in-state. And Miss Katona squinted at me. But you live here. This is your home. It seemed not to have occurred to her to live anywhere else. To leave West Virginia and even to leave Welch would have been unthinkably disloyal, like deserting her family. Just because I live here now doesn't mean I couldn't move. That would be a terrible mistake. You live here. Think of what you miss. Your family and friends and senior year is the highlight of your entire high school experience. You'd miss senior day. You'd miss the senior prom. As if those events are going to shape me for the rest of my fucking life. You think that way now, but did you think that way when you were in high school? Honestly, I almost didn't go to my senior prom. No, then we wouldn't have gotten our cute picture. Yeah, I was. I really wasn't going to go, but the only reason why I went was because I was on prom committee. Oh, seriously? Yeah. I don't even remember the theme of our senior prom. That that shouldn't be the highlight of your life. Like I no, she said senior year. It's the highlight of your high school experience. I I hated high school. I'm sure Jeanette could say the same. But it's also like as a guidance counselor, you should be like, okay, like let's see what we can do to help you get to your goals. You not. You say that, but like her, that high school counselor's experience, like the best thing that Jeanette can do is stay home and go to college here. Because it's like she said, you live here, like to think you think of what you missed, your friends, your family. But I don't think she knows that it's like Jeanette, first of all, didn't grow up here. Second Mm -hmm. of all, Jeanette's family life is completely in shambles. It just it's just very interesting point of view. But do you see that anywhere? Like people down here are like, I've never left the state, nor have I ever left this, you know, the immediate area. It blows my mind. So crazy to me. And some people don't want to move. So it's like you stay where you're comfortable. Where you're comfortable, right. And then later on, we see Jeanette and mom talking again. And, you know, Jeanette tells her mom, like, this is my plan. I'm going to move to New York with Lori. And she goes, what do you think? She goes, fine, go. What's wrong? Nothing. You should go. It's a simple plan. It's a good plan. She seemed on the verge of tears. Don't be sad, mom. All right. Oh, I'm not upset because I'll miss you. I'm upset because you get to go to New York and I'm stuck here. It's not fair. So I bitch you had your chance. Silly. A silly little lady. I was so pissed. She's like, Jeanette, Jeanette's mom is never sad. Sorry. Rosemary is never sad for Jeanette. Rosemary is only sad for herself. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you're like, oh, she's a terrible person. I, was like, I just think she's selfish. Narcissistic. I mean, because with Rosemary, it's like everything is about her. Never anyone else. And then dad goes on about how he's going to build the glass castle. Oh, my God. And she goes, Dad, as soon as I finish classes, I'm getting on the next bus out of here. If the bus stops running, I'll hitchhike. I'll walk if I have to. Go ahead and build the glass castle, but don't do it for me. Dad rolled up the blueprints and walked out of the room. A minute later, I heard him scrambling down the mountainside. Can we talk about a little um, before this? I don't know when it happened because, I don't know, we just decided it wasn't important. Or because it's mentioned in a very offhanded, like, middle of paragraph statement. The porches, the steps to the porch have completely rotted off at this point. Mm -hmm. And they're using a window. window. 
as a door. No, but you can keep the cat. The, what is it? A Cadillac? You they can don't keep mention Elvis a, anymore. So I don't know what happened to it. You can keep the diamond ring that costs $50,000. But you, you're okay with using a fucking window as a door. The monetary motivate And the mom has land in Texas. The monetary motivations in this book baffle me. Uh, but the next chapter is the day that uh, Jeanette leaves and we talk about Miss Bivens. Oh, sure. Go ahead. We've noticed um, the prostitute told Jeanette she was going someplace. The guy, uh, her dad's like friend, not friend told her, I'm surprised you're the drunk's daughter because you seem like you're going to have a successful life. And Miss Bivens says, I've got a feeling about you. I think you'll do all right up there, but you've left me with a problem. Who's going to edit the wave next year? So we are, we see all these people who are like telling Jeanette, it's like, you're going to go someplace, kid. And then her mom is like, we'll, we'll talk about the mom later. There's one thing the mom says, and I want to go on a rant about it. Mm, I think we have it marked. Oh, probably. Because I put the book down and got mad. Yeah, that's what this book made me do a lot. So, and Brian is just being so cute, and he's so excited for her to leave for New York. If you want to talk about what the mom said, I think it's later, isn't it? It's two thirty-nine at the very bottom because the bus left at seven ten in the morning. I needed to be at the station before seven. Mom announced that she that since she by nature is not an early riser, she would not be getting up to see me off. I know what you look like, and I know what the bus station looks like, and those big farewells are so sentimental. Oh, no. The thing that I want to rant about is on page 270. Oh, okay. Yeah, so... Well, that comment by the mom made me mad, because it's like, you won't even see your own child off. Oh, yeah. Because you're not an early riser. You're... You... She literally makes excuses for everything that does not benefit her, and that is awful and that is traumatic and the reason why i get so upset about that is because i literally lived through that with my grandmother and seeing her do the same exact thing to my mom and you can't argue with that because they will never change their mind i just don't think they have the capacity to like compute out of their selfish bubble right because they are their entire world and how how dare i also not be your entire world it's all about me and some people just operate like that. And I don't understand it, but that's how they function in their life. And you can stay away from me and everyone else. Right. But the dad is like, honey, life in New York is not going to be easy as you think it's going to be. And she's like, dad, I can handle it. And he's like, I'm worried about you. Here's a knife. But also I pimped you out when you were 14 or younger. Right. But here you go. And then we go to New York. Yay. I kind of felt that bad for the dad in this chapter because hands down, Jeanette was his favorite kid and she's leaving him too. Like I felt bad, but I, I'm happy for Jeanette to leave, but I feel bad for the dad because he seems really sad losing her sooner than he thought he would. Yeah. But really like this next chapter is just basically how her and Lori kind of move around to find like, you know, they live in certain apartments and then they go to South Bronx and you know that our, our apartment was bigger than the entire house on Little Hobart Street and way fancier. And it's like, oh, this part that made me laugh too. We also had a kitchen with a working refrigerator and a gas stove that had a pilot light. So you didn't need matches to get it going. And you just turn the dial. And my favorite room is the bathroom. It had a black and white tile floor, a toilet that flushed with a powerful whoosh and a tub so deep you could submerge, submerge yourself completely in it. Hot water that never ran out. It didn't bother me. The apartment was in a rough neighborhood. We had always lived in rough neighborhoods. Can we talk about how she finally has like fucking running water? <laughs> No. 
and a fridge and electricity. We don't even think about it being a luxury, but she grew up without these things. Right. And like she grew up with the food having maggots in it. And having to go to the bathroom in a bucket and having to dump trash in a bowl. Or having a rat the size of a cat swimming in the sugar bowl. Right. <laughs> and so then, and, and she's talking to Lori and let's see, we find out that Maureen was living with neighbors. So Maureen was just kind of out of the picture at this point. But the ceiling in the bedroom collapsed and Brian had moved his bed. So here we go from this life of luxury, really, you know, that they're now living in to... Brian had moved his bed onto the porch and he made walls by nailing boards along the railings, but it leaked pretty badly out there too. So he still slept under the inflatable inflatable raft. And she thought that he was going to argue with her as to why he should even go to New York. And once she finished, he said, when's the soonest I can come? Do you blame the kid? Not at all. It's like my sisters are going to take better care of me than my parents are. They're not going to gamble all the money away. They're not going to drink it all away. Like, 10 out of 10. <laughs> Moving right. to a strange land. So, just like and I me. Thought it was... oh. Oh, go ahead. Go I was ahead. just going to read from the book. Yeah, I'm oh. sure I think I have a comment. That just like me, Brian hopped on the Trailway bus the morning after completing his junior year. The day after he got into New York, he found a job at an ice cream parlor in Brooklyn, not far from the Phoenix. He said he liked Brooklyn better than the Manhattan than Manhattan or the Bronx, but he also developed a habit of dropping by the Phoenix when he got off work, waiting for me until three or four in the morning so we could take the subway together up to the South Bronx. He never said anything, but I think he figured that when we were kids, we both stood a better chance if we took on the world together. I thought that was sweet. That's what I was gonna make a comment about how he still wanted to be with his it's, big sister. It's so nice to see siblings bonding. Right. With such a shitty upbringing, because I could see the siblings not liking Maureen because Maureen's experience was so different than theirs being mm-hmm. in. She is mom's favorite because she's pretty. Like, we can all wear hand-me-downs, but Maureen can't. Mm-hmm. Oh, the neighbors are taking care of Maureen while we're suffering. Like, I could I could see the older three being like, yeah, fuck Maureen. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't happen. And then we learn that Mike Armstrong, who is Jeanette's boss at the uh, Phoenix, basically like told her, you may not believe this, but there are better jobs out there than the one you've got now. And you might get one of them one of these days, but not without a college degree. And he promised that when she comes back or that if I went to college, I could come back to the Phoenix anytime. But he said, I don't think you would. Can we go up a little bit from that paragraph so she talks about if you paid attention you could pick things up on your own and if so and so if i overheard mention of something i was ignorant about keeping kosher tammany hall hope couture i researched it later one day i interviewed a community activist who described a particular job program as a throwback to the progressive era i had no idea what the progressive era was and back at the office I got out the world encyclopedia. So she's like, I know nothing, but I have the wherewithal to look things up, which is so nice considering this time period versus now where we have all the resources you could ask for from your smartphone and nobody utilizes it. But that just kind of shows you who she is too, though. She's always wanting to learn. Yeah. If I have the resources, I'm going to use them and I'm going to try and become as knowledgeable in that area which is something that I feel she gets from her dad, which is probably why they do bond over stuff like that, you know, because he sees that in her as well. 
But it's sad to see how the dad got stunted by his childhood trauma, his gambling addiction, his drinking addiction, into getting stuck into this life of mediocrity. But so she does decide to go to school and she gets a weekend job. She lives somewhere else with with a psychologist and she makes money watching the kids. She even uh, received grants and loans to cover most, most of the tuition. And I just thought it was crazy to me. I'm like, that she has grants and loans covering the tuition and that she's living with this psychologist and taking care of kids and she's using that to help pay for college. And and I just think, you know, now you can't even do that to pay for college. Like, it's just crazy how times have changed where it's like, okay, you could work multiple jobs and pay for college back in the 80s, but nowadays that doesn't work. You're taking out a $500,000 loan. So I, I just thought it would be forever to go through school. Yeah. Like that's I why pay I, for it. I haven't gone to get my master's yet. But we do learn that Maureen goes up um, and she stays with Lori. But uh, Brian moved to his own place and they would have like dinners together. So they were still staying together as a family, even though they were all doing their separate thing. Again, it's just nice to see that little sibling bond. Right. So one morning, three years after I'd moved to New York, I was getting ready for class and listening to the radio. The announcer reported a terrible traffic jam on the New Jersey Turnpike. A van had broken down, spilling clothes and furniture all over the road, creating a big backup. And then the dog gets loose. And then Jeanette gets a phone call. Mm-hmm. Kins, guess what? Your daddy and I moved to New York. And then Jeanette's like, did, did your van break down on the turnpike? And it's like, oh, how did you know? And she's like, it was on the radio. So it really makes me th- wonder, you know, all the other places where their cars have broken down. If it was like in the middle of the city, it had been reported on, but the kids just didn't know. You can't just leave your dilapidated vehicles everywhere. Right. And then she's like, it was on the radio. On the radio? With everything going on in the world these days and an old man popping a bell is news? But there was genuine glee in her voice. We only just got here and we're already famous. Woman, the delusion. Right. Again, it's about her. Yeah. I was so pissed when I found out the the parents were like, we're moving to New York for the family. And it's like, none of them want to be with you. Right. Like, why Why do you think... It just was weird to me. I don't know. I think they, like, meet up with all the kids. And so Brian says, so what's the plan? You're moving here? We have moved for good, I asked. That's right, Dad said. Why, I asked. Dad looked puzzled and as if the answer should have been obvious. So we could be a family again. He raised his pint to family, he said. <sighs> and then again, we get the parents who don't have jobs and obviously can't pay rent. Yeah. I put in my notes, welcome to the trash pile. And then at the end of page 254, so they get kicked out and then mom and dad move in with Lori and Lori is like, I can't deal with dad. So she kicks him out, but mom and the dog can stay. And then dad goes to stay with Brian and then dad drinks all of Brian's booze. And Brian's like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not even mad. It's my fault for keeping it in the house. So it kicks Mm -hmm. dad out and the dad's like, fine, I'm going to live in the van. And then Lori was like, you can't stay in here, mom. I can't do it. And so then they finally live in the van and then the van gets towed. And now they're homeless. Which mom says, it's not such a bad life. Why not? Being homeless is an adventure. Let's talk about that later when we find something out. (laughs) 
Oh, but okay. I want to say so on page two fifty seven. If you have, if you have anything else you want to talk about before that. No, I have something on page 257, too. Okay. Mrs. Professor Fuchs, she was one of my favorite professors, a tiny, dark, passionate woman with circles under her eyes who taught political science. One day, she asked if homelessness was a result of drug abuse and misguided entitlement programs as the conservatives claim, or did it occur, as the liberals argue, because of cuts in social service programs and the failures to create economic opportunity for the poor? She called on me. I hesitated. Sometimes I think it's neither. Can you explain yourself? I think that maybe sometimes people get to get the lives they want. Are you saying homeless people want to live on the street? Are you saying they don't want warm beds and roofs over their heads? Not exactly. Uh, They do, but if some of them are willing to work hard and make compromises, they might not have ideal lives, but they can make ends meet. Professor Fuchs walked around behind her lectern. What do you know about the lives of the underprivileged? She asked. She was practically trembling with agitation. What do you know about the hardships and obstacles that the underclass faces? You have a point. Jeanette, can you please stand up for yourself? I know. Like, uh, why Why does it matter what people think of your background? I get it. Like, maybe it's just kind of like a, I don't want to talk about it. And people don't need to know because it's not their business. But it's also like, you're allowing someone to undermine what you went through to prove a point. I think it has to go back to when Lori gets back from summer camp because she loved it. And Jeanette's mm-hmm. like, oh, why? And her sister is like, no one knew I was poor. They all treated me like I was a normal person. So maybe her not saying anything is her being like, I can stay a normal person. No one's going to pity me. They're all just going to think I'm this entitled asshole instead. So I just, I, that kind of irritated me, but it was also like, you, again, you don't know someone's story, like background or story. So just be kind. So that January got really cold and the parents were like, oh, we're homeless. It's cold outside. So they'd rather sleep in the churches and... While mom would show up at Lori's tinkle and toe, at times like this, like that, her cheerful facade would crack and she'd start crying and confess to Lori that life on the streets could be hard. Just really hard. Why didn't you do something about it? And then... It's like, you're not helpless children. I just don't understand. But then we see, too, that for a while I considered dropping out of Barnard to help. Felt unbearably selfish. Just downright wrong to be indulging myself with an education in the liberal arts at a fancy private college while mom and dad were on the streets. But Lori convinced me that dropping out was the lame-brained idea. And then we see Brian pointed out that mom and dad had options. They could move back to West Virginia or Phoenix. Mom could work and she was not destitute. She had a collection of antique Indian jewelry, which she kept in a self-storage locker. There was a two-carat diamond ring she wore. She even wore it sleeping on the street. She still owned property in Phoenix. She had the land in Texas, the source of her oil lease royalties. Brian was right. Mom did have options. So you're really willing to drop out of college to help your parents when you, your mom has an abundance of resources, but she refused to because it needs to stay in the family. Not that yet. When she also says, I've spent my life taking care of other people. Now it's time to take care of me. When did you take care of other people? I gave you kids food. You had a roof over your heads. What more could you ask for? But oh, now I'm the bad guy because you feel this way. I was such a shitty mom. Yeah, you were. Sorry. Oh, no. The consequence of my own actions. Mm -hmm. And then going into the next chapter. Now the um, land's been... It is. You're right. You're right. I can't, I can't sell it. I can never sell it. The family. It's been the family for generations. You never sell land like that. I asked about the property in Phoenix. I'm saving that for a rainy day. Mom, it's pouring. This is just a drizzle. Monsoons could be ahead. Things usually work out in the end. And if they don't, 
And if they, and what if they don't, that just means you haven't come to the end yet. And like we talked about last session, she looked across the table and smiled at me with the smile you give people when you know you have the answers to all their questions. She has a fucking answer to everything, even if it doesn't make sense. That is what we call delusion. Because Hitler liked dogs. Okay. Uh, but then we find out that dad, uh, they survived another winter, but dad got tuberculosis. That's all I have for that. Yeah. Other than, like, she goes yeah. to go visit him. Uh, and then, uh, oh, this breaks my heart, too. He stayed in the, so the next chapter on 262. Dad stayed in the hospital for six weeks. That And he knew that if he went back to the streets, he'd start drinking again. So he got a job as a maintenance man in an upstate resort, room and board included. He tried to talk mom into going with him, but she flatly refused upstates the sticks like you really you you're homeless but anyway so dad went alone and he seemed to be enjoying it doing repairs and upkeep loved being back within walking distance of untamed country and staying sober dad worked at the resort through the summer and into the fall as it began to turn cold again mom called him and mentioned how much easier it was for two people to stay warm during the winter and how much tinkle the dog missed him in november after the first hard frost i got a call from brian who said that mom had succeeded in persuading dad to quit his job and return to the city do you think he'll stay sober he's already back on the booze <sighs> a few weeks later after dad got back i saw him at Lori's. he was sitting on the sofa with an arm around mom and a pint bottle in his hand he laughed this crazy ass mother of yours can't live with her can't live without her and damn if she doesn't feel the same about me you guys are so toxic for each other i hate it it's like you're doing so well we can we can see that it's not necessarily the dad. Like, yes, he has issues himself, but because he's alone, he's doing so well. It's the mom who is dragging him and making him do things for her, and he's willing to do it. I was like, he chose to go back. That's his fault. Right. So it's like the hold that she must have on him, as well as the hold that he has on her. Like you said, they're so toxic for each other, but it's like if they had just gone their separate ways, could you imagine how different their lives would have been? Could you imagine if uh, Jeanette's mom actually divorced him? Like, what could have happened? Right. Like, I don't, I don't have much faith that the mom would have been successful in life, obviously, because she doesn't function well without him. But it seems like he functions fine without her when she's not like, come back. Yeah. And so I was, no, I was pissed. But Lori's doing it. Uh, Jeanette's in college. Lori is an illustrator at a comic book company. Brian's a cop. Brian's uh, in high school. Yeah. Like, they're how, all doing really well. I love how Brian's like, I'm going to be a police officer. It's something he'd wanted since Phoenix, and he's doing it. And the dad's like, I can't believe he's a cop. Oh, my God. Mom suggested we all celebrate Christmas in Lori's apartment. It's like, because that has gone so well. Christmas passed. Right. And then uh, we see what Jeanette gets her dad and it's some nice winter clothes. So he's not cold in the winter being homeless and he gets up and leaves. And mom's ex excuse for him is it's his job to provide for you, not you guys. And so then Jeanette's like, well, do you not want your present then? She goes, oh, no, I love presents. Look, the dad being like, I'm not a goddamn charity case. You pity me. It's not the mom's fault. <laughs> I just, no, I like presents. Yeah, we know. Her and Maureen have something in common. Presents? No, no they, they like being taken care of. Oh, mom's yeah, yeah. like, I spent all my life taking care of people. It's, it's time take for someone to take care of me, which is not what children oh, I... are for. Right. That's what your significant other is for. Please to take help care take of yourself. Care. <laughs> and take care of yourself. But you also have like your significant other. You know, I just work as a team. They yeah. surely didn't. 
life is life is to be self-sufficient mm-hmm. unfortunately <sighs> okay so by the following summer Jeanette's like I'm gonna drop out I don't have the money to keep going like I have all these grants but I'm short is it like five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars a thousand yes so she's like I, I can't pay for it so I have to drop out and then dad's like I got you 950 bucks which Looking back at all the times that he stole their money or all the times that he took money from them, I feel like this is his way of kind of trying to make it up to her. Well, we didn't mention it, but there was one point where whenever dad talks to the other, maybe it's other people in the tuberculosis ward where he's like, I made something worthwhile. It's my daughter. She's going to Ivy Mm -hmm. League school. Like, I I made that. So he's very proud of her education. And then for her to like throw it all away her senior year because she doesn't have the the money for tuition makes sense for him to have a motivation to do that. But it is nice that her parents, I don't want to say came in clutch because they usually don't. Her dad, not her mom. Because her mom could have helped her. I mean, yeah, by selling something. Yeah. One thing. Just one. Just like maybe one piece of Indian jewelry. You don't have to sell the whole fucking thing. Yeah, that's why I said like one thing. But also, the mom is in New York now. And you can argue, oh, everyone sells art in New York. Yeah, because there's a market for it. Mm-hmm. Mom's a painter. Why isn't she selling her paintings on the street? Right. I like because she doesn't want to sell them. I don't know if they still have a lot of the paintings because I know the, the van got repoed. Mm-hmm. But I don't doubt that she's still making paintings. Right. Make it make sense. People draw caricatures on the street in New York and they make money doing that. So well, that's how Lori uh, was able to make some money for her to get out of New York or get out to yeah, New York. Yeah, she was making posters. Yeah. And portraits. But so I don't have anything up until 267. Uh, yeah. So they moved into a, their squatters. Mm-hmm. They finally found the home. But, you know, at least they're somewhere. And so then Jeanette goes, I graduated from Barnard that spring. Brian came to the ceremony, but Lori and Maureen had to work. Mom said it would be just a lot of boring speeches about long and winding road of life. I wanted dad to come, but chances were he'd show up drunk and try to debate the commencement speaker. I can't risk it, dad. Hell, I don't have to see my mountain goat grabbing a sheepskin and know that she's got her degree. Because like you do, you worked so hard. Brian came said up with all this stuff. Brian said what? I'm pretty sure Brian said this. How I don't have to see my mountain goat grabbing a shape scheme to know she's graduating? Yeah. I think no, he's dad. Are you sure he's not mocking the dad? Yeah, I wanted to come. I wanted dad to come, but chances were he'd show up drunk and trying to debate co- the commencement speaker. I can't risk it, dad. I told oh, him. Oh, okay, because she's addressing him. Okay. Yeah. And then she's been doing learn. Eric. Yeah, Eric. Sounds like a decent gentleman. Eric sounds fine. Eric sounds like a nice man, okay? Yeah, which is good. She Like she even said, she's like, I'm happy that I'm with someone that because I assumed that I was going to go for someone who was an alcoholic or a raging abusive man. Like, I'm with someone who is good. We also remember that the dad threw the mom out of a window one time, right? <laughs> did he throw her out or did mom jump? That's you know the question we'll never know. <laughs> I'm just glad Jeanette is like, you know, I found a stable guy. Yeah. Who appreciates me. But then what pissed me off is like, you know, she invites mom and dad to the apartment. Dad's like, I'm not going over there. And the mom goes, I don't really like Park Avenue. It's too monotonous. I prefer the architecture on Central Park, okay, or the snooty squatter ever. And then 
She goes, you know, I can help you guys with something. I can put a security payment down for an apartment. Like I can help you. We don't need anything. We're fine. It's you I'm worried about. You're worried about me. Yes, very worried. Mom, I'm doing very well. I'm very, very comfortable. That's what I'm worried about. Look at you. The, look at the way you live. You've sold out. Next thing I know, you'll become a Republican. Where are the values I raised you with? I'm not going to continue to live the life that I lived before I moved to New York. I'm not going to be homeless. I'm not going... Once you get running water, I'm not going back. When I don't have to shit in a bucket, I'm not going back. And then I think she gets to write a gossip column. And then mom's like, you should be writing exposés on oppressive landlords, social injustice, and the class struggle on the Lower East Side. But I left at the job because it meant I would become one of those people who knew what was really going on. Also, most people in Welsh had a pretty good idea how bad off the Walls family was. But the truth was they all had their problems too. They were just better at than we were at covering them up. So it's like a way for her to be able, like, everyone else has their problems. I get a little taste of that. Mm -hmm. she, she still does the whole, like, you know, disregards her whole family past and just, you know, she's like, it's not their business to know what my parents or my family is doing. So yeah, they still live in West Virginia. Where is it? Okay, okay. Eventually, on page 270, eventually, even mom acknowledged that I'd done all right. No one expected you to amount to much she said laura was the smart one maureen the pretty one and brian the brave one you never had much going on for you except that you always worked hard i wanted to vomit reading that i was like, I was like you are not this lady in the face mom that is the last thing your child did no one expected you to amount to much no one expected you to amount to much says who you says her rosemary you that's my word. <laughs> I, I don't like this lady. Maria said God. I did. I'm sorry. You should bleep that out for sure. Just do a little bleep. <laughs> I, I've done the bleep oh, before yeah. and Luke doesn't like it. So I just like make it silent. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I will censor you, unfortunately. Please do. <laughs> but then to learn even more about how cunty the mom is the next chapter she's like oh we need to talk um we need to buy jim's land which is mom's brother and come to find out the reason why we got to keep this land is because we got to keep it in the family and uh the mom's like well you can borrow money from eric and at this point they're already married uh jeanette and eric well how much a million dollars what a million dollars but uncle jim's land is the same as your land I was speaking slowly because I wanted to make sure I understood the implications of what mom had just told me. You each inherited half of Grandpa Smith's land, more or less. So if Uncle Jim's land is worth a million dollars, that means your land is worth a million dollars. What do you mean you don't know? It's the same size as his. I don't know how much it's worth because I never had it appraised. I was never going to sell it. My father taught me you never sell land. That's what... That's why we have to buy Uncle Jim's land. We have to keep it in the family. You mean you own land worth a million dollars after all those years in Welch with no food, no coal, no plumbing, and mom had been setting on land worth a million dollars. Had all those years, as well as mom and dad's time on the street, not to mention their current life in the abandoned tenement, been a caprice inflicted on us by mom. Could she have solved our financial problems by selling this land she ever, she never even saw? But she avoided my questions, and it became clear to that to mom. Holding on to land was not so much an investment strategy as it was an article of faith or revealed truth as deeply felt and contestable to her Catholicism. And for the life of me, I could not let her tell me 
I could not get her to tell me how much the land was worth. So what she then says later on is that she's like, I can't ask Eric for a million dollars. Jenna, I haven't asked you for a lot of favors, but I'm asking you for one now. It wouldn't, I wouldn't if it wasn't important, but this is important. I can't believe you're asking me this. I've never seen that land. Jeanette, I am deeply disappointed in you. Fuck off. Okay, here's the thing. Um, she should not have sold that land for a million dollars because her husband would be dead from alcohol poisoning. I mean, maybe uh -huh. they would have had a successful life if that had happened. I don't know. Maybe. So we learned that. That was a short chapter. And then we go into the next chapter where we learn about Maureen. She graduated when she went to college, but she really ended up dropping out and she, her jobs never lasted long. So it's starting to look like she's reverting back to life from Welch, where it was just constantly bouncing from odd jobs that her parents were doing. But Maureen knew that she was pretty. And I don't know if you've heard the saying pretty privilege, but we see it here where, yeah, it's a thing. People who are pretty get what they want. And we see that Maureen is using it to her advantage. Hey, but if you're like an average looking person and you're not like a fucking bridge troll, you do pretty well in life. Maybe not as well yeah. as like people who are just like, oh, I'm like a 10 out of 10 gorgeous. And then people give you free shit. But like, Right, which is what we see, though, that, you know, with her long blonde hair and white blue eyes, she found various men who are willing to help out. It's, it's just, Maureen, this entire, her entire life has just been, like, wandering around looking for someone else to take care of her. Right, and right, which I feel like the mom did the same thing. So it's like, Maureen is literally just a reflection of her mom, except her mom mm -hmm. picked a deadbeat. And so Maureen moved in back with her mom and dad, and I guess they would get in screaming matches, dad and Maureen, and dad would call Maureen a sick puppy, the runt of the litter who should have been drowned at birth. That is one hell of a thing to say to your daughter. Yeah. And then, but like, you know, think about it. He has these three brilliant, self-sufficient children, and then he has Maureen. Yeah. Is Maureen and even his kid? This is what, this is what makes me laugh. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, where does the blonde hair and blue eyes come from? Because the picture True, of her dad all is like dark hair, dark eyes. Unless the recessive traits are coming in clutch, I don't think it's his kid. Afterward, I called I Brian. Do you, think on, uh, do you think Maureen's on drugs? If, if she's not, she should be. She's gone nuts. I told mom that Maureen should get professional help, but mom kept insisting that all Maureen needed was fresh air and sunshine. I talked to several doctors, but they told me that since it sounded like Maureen refused to seek help on her own, she should only she should be treated only by order of a court if she proved a danger to herself or others. And then fast forward six months later, Maureen stabbed mom. Mom decided it was time for Maureen to develop a little self-sufficiency by moving out and finding a place of her own. God helps them who helps themselves, mom told Maureen. And so it was for her own good. She would have to leave the nest and make her way in the world. Maureen couldn't spare the idea that her own mother, mom, would kick her out on the street. And she snapped. And then her, the mom is like, I don't want to press charge. Well, we find bail is denied. And Lori and dad got into a loud argument who is responsible for pushing Maureen over the edge. Lori blamed dad for creating a sick environment while dad maintained that Maureen had faulty wiring. Dad, ch Mom chimed in that all the junk food marine had eight led to a chemical imbalance and brian started yelling at them to all shut the hell up or he'd arrest them and i just stood there looking one distorted face to another listening to the babble of enraged squabbling as the members of the walls family gave vent to all their years of hurt and anger each unloading his or her own accumulated grievances and blaming the others for following the most fragile one of us to break into pieces and marine got a one-way bus ticket to california and didn't want a single person to go see her off. But and Jeanette gets up as a for symbolism and just watching the sunrise as she leaves. And she goes, I'm sorry, Maureen. 
Sorry for everything. Like I will any say, of this it is, is Jeanette's one, fault. Right. And this is the one part, like reading that page when I first read it, like I did tear up a little bit because I was just like, someone broke. This family caused someone to break. And now Jeanette was like, I wish I could have done more, which I had hinted at before when she was like, I feel like I haven't done enough for Maureen. And it's like, but what could you have done? You were simply trying to survive as well. All of you guys were. Your parents should have been the ones taking care of her. Then we see that she hardly sees mom or dad. She didn't. Uh, Brian never sees them. He got married by an old rundown house and he's going to restore it. And he has a wife and a child. I do want to make a comment that Jeanette says at the top of 277. We hadn't gotten together since Maureen's arraignment. Something in all of us broke that day. And afterward, we no longer had the spirit for family gatherings. But then we also find out that dad's dying. And he asked for alcohol. Yeah, which she's like, well, what the fuck? And the mom's like, just just humor him and bring some. I mean, I can understand. I kind of, when we learn, I, I would be annoyed too. But then we learn what what's happening with the dad he's like i have terminal a terminal sickness i don't know if he's gotten diagnosed he just like he knows because i right. don't ever think the turkey bo- turkey tuberculosis yes <laughs> <Went away. laughs> and they talk about it and it's like it's it's now or never the fact is i'm dying mm-hmm. and they're like, he's like, I don't want you to cry when I'm gone. And he's like, you know, I always loved you. And they're like, we never built the glass castle. No, but we had fun planning it. And then she says, I'm so sorry. I should have invited you to my graduation. And then he says, I've got a lot to regret in my life, but I'm goddamn proud of you. So finally, Jeanette gets to be like, she still doesn't get any recognition from her mom, but at least her dad's yeah. proud of her. Right, right. And then two weeks later, dad died of a heart attack. Yay. Not yay, but... But, like... Yeah. And that's really all I had up until Thanksgiving, but even then, I still didn't have much. A year after her dad died, she left Eric. He was a good man, but not the right one for me, and the Park Avenue was not where I belonged. But then she met her second husband, John. John! And they live in Virginia. And And then they have Thanksgiving. Giving. Five years since her dad had passed. So Brian is already at the house, but Lori and mom are coming to, and Jeanette's going to go pick them up. And the mom is still technically homeless, but not homeless. Right, because in New York, uh, I guess they sold the apartments for $1. And she's very happy in her life. But apparently Maureen is still living in California. I mean, but she talks to her mom now. Yeah, and that she was thinking of coming back for a visit. Oh, but Brian is divorced. Yes. So he just has his daughter. And he's bought another house to renovate. So he he likes fixing up old broken houses, which I feel like stems from the old broken houses he used to live in. Now that he has the resources, he's like, look, how, right. look what I can do. And then they're like, we should have, we should drink a toast to Rex. And then she says, life with your father was never boring. I feel like that should have just been... The last line in the book. Yeah. But there's another paragraph under it. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. That is the end of the Glass Castle. And it was a wild ride. And, uh, yeah, I uh, it definitely put me through uh, some anger, sent- angry sentiments. But overall, it was okay. Did you know her husband took the author photograph? Oh, no, I didn't know that. At least that's what it says in um, yeah. my book. They have discussion questions. 
No, I think I'm going to save them for the right. our buzz review. I have six, but since we're you're running low on time, I'll cut it down to three. Um, what do you think about the children's decision to finally leave Welch? I was so happy for them. Because if, if it wasn't, and the thing is, too, that no one else was going to make that decision for them. So I'm glad that they were all like, no, we need to get out of here. Because, again, people are comfortable. They stay where they like and where they don't have to do much. But they're like, this isn't a life worth living. I don't know if it's so much of a comfort thing for people. Like, moving now is expensive. But I can't imagine how expensive it is to move when you literally have nothing and you're like going to a new place and you're like, well, how am I going to survive in this place mm -hmm. without knowing anybody? But it also just goes to show like they were willing to go through all of that just to get away from that. And they were yeah. saying like employment was rife in New York. Mm -hmm. so, like everyone needs someone to do something for them and they'll pay for it. Right. What do you think about the CPS visit? Goes to show that CPS doesn't really do much to help families. I was so excited when CPS showed up. And then only for them to never do a follow-up. I don't know if they were like, if they looked it up and they're like, oh, well, she does have a job now. Like, there's nothing we can do because... But did they not see the house? Did, like, did the whole, like, Jeanette saying, oh, be careful, the stairs are giving away, or the trash. Like, did the outside of the house not give them red flags? Like, was that not something that they thought they should investigate? Didn't we ask when CPS was established and it was, like, early 70s? yeah so if cps was literally like still in its infancy like maybe they didn't have those protocols back then like everything gets developed over time so right i don't like to shit on anything but i still think one of the kids called i think it was a teacher i think it might have been miss bivens uh do you have any opinions on the parents decision to be homeless if that's what made them happy more power to them but trying to drag your children into them and get into it and gaslight them into I'm questioning your views. What happened to the values that I gave you? That's not OK. Just because you're living a certain way doesn't mean someone else has to live that way as well. And then even though like the mom's like judging Jeanette for like, oh, you're living the high life. Where are the values mm -hmm. I instilled you? You still have the mom crying to Lori. She's like, it's just so hard. It's just hard. Like, and you could get out of it. You have options, but you're choosing to live this way. And that's no one else's fault but your own if you're going to make it an issue. Yeah. So I was like, so why do, is it, I, why, why do it? Is it just you don't want to get a job? Is it just you, you're happy being a drifter? Like kind of mm -hmm. like Janelle said when they're, they're like, oh, why are people homeless? Like sometimes you're forced into homeless and sometimes you want to be homeless. And sometimes that's all you know. Like it happens. And just because you're homeless doesn't mean I'm going to look down on you. But it's also like, again, if you're homeless, but your children are not, that doesn't give you any right to, to give them the stink eye, basically, and be like, well, now you just think you're better than us. You can have this life, too. You I don't, don't know about it. living on Park Avenue, but, you know, running water is very right. nice. Are be proud of your children for, you know, doing something oh, with their lives. Don't get me started on the please be proud of your children. So, but yeah, that's our buzz review so follow us on oh. instagram it's not our buzz review sorry that was the last <laughs> part of the before the buzz I, review. I really just want i want to be done with it <laughs> i know it's been we've been dragging this on not necessarily because like we want to but our schedules literally have been not aligning and i've been reading this book since march yeah i'm ready to put this one up I'm like, I've had it from the library for so long. 
feel bad. I'm excited. I'm excited for our next read. So for all of our right, listeners, do, our, do your plug first. Follow us on Instagram at bookswbitches and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. And if you want to DM us or email us recommendations for the book or tell us what you think we're doing wrong with the podcast, you can DM us on Instagram or email us at bookswbitches. Bitches is spelled with a one at gmail.com. And for our next read, it's Madison's pick. Oh, God, I should have looked up how to say her name. We're going to read The Witch's Heart by Genevieve Gorinchek. I think that's how you say it. It looks good. I, I like the cover, so. Norse mythology. So I'm excited for it. And we're um, going to read to page 116 to the middle. And there's a, a very obvious break. Because there are no chapters in this one as oh, well. Of course there's not. <laughs> so anyway, we'll see you guys next time for our buzz review and our final review on the Glass Castle. Woo! Okay, bye! Bye!